Hello, and welcome to Why Sports, a podcast designed to highlight the value of athletics as a foundation for any career path. Through interviews with professionals across industries, we discuss the impact of being part of a team, competition, learning to fail, and how those lessons transcend athletics into the workplace. Join us as we explore the importance of sports as professional development while our guests share what they have learned throughout their career. I'm your host, Justin Clark. Welcome back to Y Sports. We are joined by fellow Pirate alum, class of 98, Jessica Canning of Canning Properties, located in Pebble Beach and Carmel, California. Coach, really excited to have you back on so we can chop it up a little bit about your sports background. Yeah, I'm really excited. I think it's a really fun topic. And it's funny because I've actually incorporated this in a lot of my dialogue just over the past six months. And it's really become part of our DNA, if you will, and how we do business. And I'm excited. It's a great Great. topic. (laughs) If you could frame how your background in athletics has helped shape your professional career, even back to before you got into real estate, but what you were doing in the professional world and how the lessons you learned throughout you've relied on as you've navigated this journey? I grew up in Pebble Beach area. My dad was in real estate, so I'm a second generation real estate family. But after graduating Stevenson, went up to Santa Clara. And then after graduating that, I got a job at Dow Jones or a company that was eventually acquired by Dow Jones. And so I was up there in corporate America for about 10 years, managing It ended up when I was at the end, I was global research director, managing people in San Francisco, London, New Jersey, New York, Barcelona, and Shanghai. So big team. And, you know, part of that is hiring, talent development, resource allocation. And your timing was perfect on asking me about this because I turned 40 last year and there's something with hitting that age that makes you look back. Like, how did I get here? What's good? What's bad? And I have leaned on my experience in athletics a lot in my life, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And I was one of those year-end sports kind of kids. I did volleyball, basketball, and softball. Uh, And just over Christmas, I asked my mom, I go, was I a difficult child or why were you trying to keep me out of the house 364 days a year? But it's because I loved it. And looking back on what I learned from sports across all sports, The first one that jumps out at me that I have applied almost every day, failure is fundamental to success. And I've seen not just in myself, but in hiring and managing other employees, too many people get tripped up out of a fear of failure. Mm -hmm. But with athletics, we just call it practice. It's, I know I'm going to fail. If you're not failing repeatedly, you're not trying hard enough and you're not pushing yourself. And so when I was a manager at Dow Jones, I was constantly trying to mentor people. And part of my day to day is don't stop if you don't get called or you get hung up on or someone gets mad at you. You have to keep going. That's the only way you really reach the next level. But the second part of it, it's not just failing fantastically, right? Like mm-hmm. similar to Coach Kerr, where he, you know, he had the shoot around at the beginning of every practice. 
that wasn't just to miss baskets. It is a methodical way to improve that you have to use failure as a tool itself. Mm-hmm. So when I burned out of corporate America and I got into real estate and I was like, I don't know anything. How am I going to jumpstart my career? I created a newsletter, a monthly newsletter to my targeted market that I wanted to own. Mm-hmm. And I did it every month and I was religious about it and it created my brand, but I did it every month and didn't hear anything for nine months. If I had sent that out one time and I'm like, that's a failure, it never would have taken off. And I've sold at least $20 million worth of deals off of that newsletter. But it was because I kept at it. And even though the initial results were, this is this whole newsletter is a failure. I'm never gonna get anything from it. You have to push through that and use negative feedback methodically. And so that's the number one thing I think you and I have spoken with about as well. It's practice is critical to it and you have to apply that to your career. Absolutely. And it's funny that the listeners won't be able to see this, but I have a shirt on. It says, do fail, repeat. Right? And it's <laughs> yeah. it's uh, ultimately the way in which we grow if we have the emotional intelligence to see failure as an opportunity for feedback loops and growth, or in your analogy, practice. It's reps, right? You're getting reps and you're trying to get better every single day. I like that you led with that. And what I'm curious a little bit here, and it's a little off topic, but you can bring it back to to where it needs to be. As you went into corporate America out of Santa Clara, as a woman in leadership in, I would imagine, a predominantly male-dominated space, how did your background with failure allow you to grow and succeed there and capture your corner of the market and use your background in athletics to do that? Yeah. So that's another thing that jumped up at me was feminism, right? Like how did sports impact my leadership in business, but also as a woman in business? And I think I look back on it really as pick up ball in middle school. Mm-hmm. I I think sports is a phenomenal way for men and women to tow the same line Mm -hmm. and get comfortable towing the same line. I played pickup ball. It happened, you know, 98 was a great year for athletics in the Monterey Peninsula. And I came from PG and then went over to Stevenson. I played pickup ball with the guys over at PG who ended up going to state. And sometimes they would beat me, sometimes they wouldn't, but it made me comfortable going side by side with them and competing with them directly. And that rolled straight over to corporate America that there's one specific example. So I was a manager, I was managing about 10 people at Dow Jones and I had a track record of success, but I get a call from New York and my boss's boss, he calls me, he goes, Hey Jess, it turns out your boss just quit effective immediately. And we're promoting you to his job. And I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. He goes, also, he was on the docket to speak at a conference in Dubai in three weeks about private equity. We're going to put you on that docket. You're now speaking. (laughs) And my first reaction, which goes straight back to sports, like 
the answer is yes, I will get my passport and I will figure everything else out after it. Like with athletics, you have to respond that way. I may fail at it, but I absolutely am going to do it. And my next question was after I said yes, emphatically, I said, do they even let women speak at conferences in Dubai? I don't know, but I was like, I'm going to go. And so I got my passport and I went over there and I'm standing in front of a room of maybe 500, 700 people. I think there were maybe five women and I'm at the podium and giving my speech. And there's something about, I don't know what the result will be, but I'm comfortable enough in my own skin and my own competitive experience that, yes, I will respond to this moment and see where it goes. So I do, I think it's fundamental. I go back in middle school when we were first starting to teach kids about specific sports mm -hmm. and the PE teacher who is actually looking back on it, he's a really good guy, but he would teach it and say, okay, girls, this is how you can swing a tennis racket and boys, this is how you can swing a tennis racket. And even at age, I must've been 11. I go, no, there are not two ways to swing a tennis racket. And I like got him in trouble being like, you don't need to coach it mm -hmm. two different ways. And I think for women, we may not all go out to be professional athletes. Most of us won't, mm -hmm. but I do think it's important to get it out of your head immediately mm -hmm. that we are fundamentally different. Now, some you know, men have better strengths than others. Women have better strengths than others, but you can't control if someone else thinks less of you and your capabilities, but you can control if you think less about yourself and your own capabilities. And so that definitely started a very kind of instrumental age directly related to sports. Mm -hmm. that, that's a great story. And I'm left to wonder what the response or the experience would have been had you not had that background in athletics and competing against the neighborhood guys and figuring out how to fit in and measure up and build that confidence. But we'll never know because yeah. you're a multi-sport <laughs> athlete. What else came front of mind that first question? You mentioned that failure is fundamental. What else came up for you? Yeah. So really interesting. So when I jumped over from Dow Jones, where we did business modeling and business planning, and I had to figure out how to create and develop that business. Uh, then I jumped over to real estate. My dad had a big track record of he, there's kind of two theories in business. Either you sell a little bit of very expensive things, mm -hmm. or you sell a lot of very cheap things. That's how people get to the very top of the market. Like we have a client who sells the napkins at McDonald's and he's got a huge house because that's a lot of something very cheap. Mm -hmm. My dad had initially and still specializes in oceanfront, golf front, the highest price houses in Pebble Beach and Carmel, which is great. And it's our brand. However, I looked when I got into real estate, my background's analysis. And so I go, okay, let's look at the past 10 years of real estate how did that do? What can we learn from it? And there were, after the dot-com crash, it was three years until the top of the market came back. Mm -hmm. And I go, okay, if I'm going to get into this business from scratch, I want to diversify my income and hedge against risk. You know, my degree from Santa Clara is in economics. I want to hedge my investments. And so I have this 
line that I've been sharing with people. When I develop my business plan, I design it like a coach designing plays. Mm -hmm. I have plays designed for three pointers, mm -hmm. free throws and layups. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't know where the market's going to go. And we try to have the best layups we can. I want to have the best houses in comfortable neighborhoods in Carmel Valley, not necessarily ocean and golf front, but that helps to hedge against market cycles. Mm -hmm. And I work with this group at Sotheby's of the top 50 teams in the nation. And we talk about how to develop business plans and marketing strategies and negotiations. And I shared that with them. And that was a year ago. And we were just on a meeting a couple of weeks ago and San Francisco, New York, Chicago, and even a little bit of LA has been hammered with COVID. These are agents that previously had 100, 150, $200 million a year. It's just amazing. But if your market evaporates like that, it had a huge impact on them. And one of them, one of the guys in Chicago actually quoted my line. He goes, I've been so focused on three pointers that I was ignoring the layups. And so now all of a sudden he's like, just to pay the groceries and get through this cycle, he's like, I'm selling two bedroom condos 45 minutes out of town, but it's keeping the productivity going. Mm -hmm. And so I try to approach my business like a coach would and develop it accordingly. So I'm going to use that to jump into this idea of sharing information trying to collaborate and figure out your business plan. And in this case, finding things that work or that don't and the feedback loops that come along with that. How have you been able to navigate that as a professional? And in what way, if any, does it go back to the constant criticism or coaching you would have gotten in athletics? How has that helped you navigate feedback loops, both, both as a, a receiver, right, as, as a direct report, and as somebody that has had a ton of people that you managed? So a couple of answers to that. The first one, I respect and try to learn from every single one of my clients. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why they can afford a $5 million house in Carmel. And what I've really come to appreciate, which is so hard, but you need to customize your communication skills with your clients. And I have found that people communicate in four different ways. The first one is like long paragraph form. And you'll send them, I'll send them charts and this is what's going on. And then all of a sudden they'll send you seven paragraphs about what they're looking for and why they're looking for it. The second kind of communication that I've encountered are like bullet points, right? Da, 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 da. I want to be able to read it in about 45 seconds because I'm not going to read anything more. The third one is visual. People like graphs. People like to just see stuff. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one, which applies to today is audio. And so inevitably, if I send this two and a half page report about market trends, the client will pick up the phone and be like, I got your email now, tell me what it says. And to be able to recognize that and then flip it back, because you have to communicate to someone at their own level. And so I have one found you need to appreciate how people got to you and learn from them. Always trying to learn from them in some way, even if they're driving you crazy, it's like, okay. How do I learn from this experience? And then two, customize your own language to respond to them. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really important. Now, a couple of other elements to your question within a team, right? How do you work within a team? And I started paying attention to this at the Dow Jones days. I've really only played team sports. I respect people who play golf and tennis and what it just didn't strike my nerve. It didn't resonate with me. And so I tend to tilt toward creating teams everywhere I go. It's just in my comfort zone. But I also have found the benefit from a hiring perspective, from a training perspective, you get the maximum returns by putting people in their proper roles. And it's not so much like, Jess, you're a data person, therefore I will put you in your place. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of, and we've actually done this within the real estate world. If I am data and analytically inclined. But if I have a client who comes at me and is, I'll know it when I see it. Like I can't respond well to that. I can't help them the way that someone else can. And so we work as a team to support our clients and canning properties. I work with my dad and my brother. And then we have someone who specializes in the preserve and he's just a classic salesperson. We just hired someone to specialize in the Highlands and his background is more on like home maintenance, property management. He knows houses inside and out. We have a marketing coordinator who's creative and analytical. And then we have a transaction coordinator. And it's classic because our TC who handles all of our paperwork and timeliness, she was a catcher in softball. And I'm like, oh, you're perfect. You know how to manage the group without making it clear that you're managing the group and just cleans everyone else up and keeps us on time. And so it was classic in that regard. I was like, you're perfect for this role, but mm -hmm. it helps to enable people who are not analytically inclined mm -hmm. that all help support them. And going back to even the Dow Jones days, this kind of person responds well to marketing roles. This kind of person, like a sales guy is just a salesperson. They're chatty. They don't like filling out forms, but rather than trying to force them into a specific role, you just put more energy mm -hmm. behind their strengths and then support their weaknesses because we all have both of them. Right. And that's been hugely valuable. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And it leads me into my follow-up which relates to your own experience, right? You said volleyball, basketball, softball. So on each of those teams, I'm guessing you played a different role, right? One of them, you may have been the dude and one of them, you may have been a, a role player. And yeah. as you described seeing what people are good at and getting them in the right seats, it's really a similar aspect of learning to play a role that you can be great at versus one that you're going to stumble along at. So I, I wonder throughout your career, both in the Dow Jones corporate America world and the reality world, I'll say both in your office, but in the bigger picture of the interactions you have, have you found it easy or can you see or sense when people have a background in team athletics or maybe don't based on their behaviors and uh, way in which they interact with others? Yeah, really good question. So how to answer that. The team that we currently have in real estate, and we actually talk about this, about expanding and hiring and familiarity with athletics 
is important. Every day we come into the office, we're always saying, hey, how do I help? How can I help? And we're congratulating each other on any little or big sale or movement, new client. And within that experience, I look back on sports. I'm not even picky about... I don't discriminate about whether or not someone is really good at a specific position. I don't care. You know, if someone says it on their resume and they're like, they don't mention whether they started or sat the bench on about, I don't care. Cause there's something about the experience of athletics where inevitably the jocks are the ones like clapping people on in uh, assembly, right? Oh, wow. You won the science, you know, award and everyone's clapping and it's, athletes frequently are in that role. We all clap when someone gets a three-pointer. We all clap when someone takes a charge. And that kind of support system is critical in the world that I have worked in. There are some roles like stockbrokers and something that may not be as supportive like as a team, but I don't know that world well enough even that might, might not be the case. But I have experienced typically the employees that I manage that I have struggled with don't appreciate that kind of support and feedback loop. And I think athletes in particular, going back to how I started it, they understand what a feedback loop is. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you don't expose yourself to just, you're not doing free throws, that's good feedback. Like just getting positive reinforcement doesn't help me grow. Mm -hmm. So there's a classic story. I was your typical strong forward in basketball and we were very successful. We went to the semifinals of state. Mm -hmm. It was one of my best experiences of my life. Mm -hmm. My role was to clean up rebounds, Mm -hmm. right? Jess, you inhale the boards, you get it out. You do not want me dribbling all the way down the court. I will not make it. I will inevitably make it three quarters of the way and then kick it off my foot. That was not my role. You Mm -hmm. don't want me in that role. But even though I was on the boards, historically strong forwards are not good at free throws. Like you look at Shaq, like you can throw 700 coaches at the person and they still can't throw a free throw. Like that was kind of me. My coach tried to create a program that would make everyone better, but also me because I got fouled enough. And so in basketball, if you get fouled and you're in bonus, the first free throw, if you make it, you get the opportunity for a second free throw. All right. So that's the bonus situation. So as a coach, my coach said, all right, everyone's practicing free throws as part of everyday practice. If you miss the first, you have to do five push-ups, And if you miss a second, you have to do two. If you miss both, you have to do 10 mm-hmm. as a way to instill consistent practice and to get better. And by the end of the season, I was the best at push-ups of anyone on the team. And I still could not hit a free throw, but that's- <laughs> Unintended consequence and win from the- Yeah, he's up, Jess. <laughs> I love it. The feedback, which is if you're designing a coach, if you're a coach out there, it's a great way of designing, helping people get better at free throws. But that feedback was useful. And I think people being open to negative criticism, Mm -hmm. that experience in sports has made it much easier because that's where you really get better is improving your weaknesses, not feeling better about your strengths. Yeah. And I think the takeaway I have from that conversation really has nothing to do with these people being athletes, but having experienced team, understand role, and be able to receive feedback in a constructive fashion. Whereas 
if you haven't gone through that experience of, hey, good job, and here's how it can be better, and that becomes the norm of your day-to-day -day routine, yeah. that first time you get, hey, Jess, let me talk to you for a minute. You know that report you did? Like, it feels like an attack versus an opportunity to help you grow. And I exactly. think that's the takeaway that I'm hearing from you in that. Exactly. And it's also because every season is long, right? No matter what sport it is, basketball yeah. particularly. But you get an appreciation that even the big wins, there's always another one behind it. There's always another one on the step. Even at the end of the season, you've got to generally have another season after it. Mm -hmm. And it has a really nice perspective of okay, this report, you really did not do well. You have to start all over. It's not crushing because I'm going to get another report. I was like, okay, let me go fix it. Let me turn it around. The perspective of a long tail of life, it's good. And you learn it from sports. You're like, I'm just continuing to progress. Yep. Now I did not play football, but my brother did. So working with my brother, and this goes to all the salespeople out there. Yep intuitively I'm not your just standard salesperson like I'm trying to sell you everything all the time like I care about my clients and that's why I love what I do but it can be hard if a deal blows up or if something happens and you just you're like it can be brutal if a client yells at you or takes vents out at you it can be really hard and real estate is very stressful it's a stressful process for both families buying and selling and if you lose out on a deal or a deal falls through, my brother had this line straight from football that changed my whole perspective. And he sat me down and he goes, Jess, you need to have a quarterback memory. <laughs> You're like, the play's over. You can't unwind the clock and you cannot a quarterback cannot carry over from the last play. You just got to go and hike and go right back at it. Yep. And that changed me. That approach is okay. It's a new start. I'm going to build on it, but I'm not going to carry that around on me because that can be crushing. And if you've never had to actually be like, okay, game over, it's time for the next game, that experience, mm -hmm. it's invaluable. It's funny that you mentioned that you got that from your brother as a football player, where football probably has the most downtime between repetitions of any sport where they can think about it and get in the weeds and get in their own way. Whereas a basketball player, it's like turnover up. Oh, we're going the other way. We got to defend. You don't even have time to think about it, yeah. but I love yeah. the takeaway from that. And it's the next page mentality. So let's dive into that disappointment, right? Something that, none of us win every game we ever play be it a tennis be it we go out and golf we're not going to beat our score every time be it playing for the the league championship or to make sure that you don't lose every game but in life as you have faced disappointments and falling on your face you probably haven't thought about this but as you think about it now can you tie any through lines to the way in which sports prepared you to navigate those disappointments <laughs> This is not going to be the answer you want to hear, but I think the biggest weakness or drawback mm -hmm. of being an extremely competitive athlete. Now this generally happens at the top. And even if it's top of high school, top, of, it doesn't have to be NBA, but I have found a common thread amongst highly competitive athletes, myself included. 
we are better at remembering the failures than the successes. And it's like my senior year in high school, looking back on it, it was very difficult, but it, it was one of the most rewarding experiences I have. However, we lost in the semifinals. And I, to this day, cannot drive past the town that we played in without physically growling and like embodying anger. Now, the good news with that is that they beat us. We didn't lose. They beat us. I recognize that. But to this day, like, and I do find even with golfers, my families are all big golfers and golfers are notorious for this. I'll ask them like, how was the round? You're like, oh, it's terrible or it's great, except for I miss this one putt on this one. I go, what about everything else? But it's always like, I miss this one putt. I go, we made a lot of other ones, but that doesn't matter. And I think athletes are really competitive people really lock in on that. And that I think is a challenge that I continue to face is that I am hard on myself for missing that one basket or losing that one game, even though I know that it was an amazing season. And now part of what I have liked and how I get through it goes back to that team mentality. Like you always still have an awards dinner or you have the meeting after the game that you just lost. And it's like, all right, guys, let's take a deep breath. Let's think about what we did. And let's also think about everything else that we've done. They call it in the news industry, they call it a post-mortem. Mm-hmm. And I laughed. I was like, you guys are so dark. Like, you can't call it like recap or whatever. But in the, in the military, they call it an after action report. Yeah. And that experience, it was like, okay, you're never going to forget your worst misses. You're just not, I don't even know our record from senior year, Mm -hmm. but I know the two that I missed. And it was like, it was something and two. And the last one was the last one, but the other one was against our biggest rival. Not that I've forgotten at all. It was 25 years ago, (laughs) held on to it, but you sit down and you're like, all right, what did we do well? And you learned that recap process. You're never going to fully get over your biggest losses. But at the same time, you're in it together. You experienced it together. And when a big deal blows up right now, we go out for lunch and we sit down and we're like, hey, man, you're going to get over this. You're going to get another one. You'll remember this one. But there's something about that process. You got to recognize it because to be successful at anything, you've got to go all in. And that's something else that I found. I got into a pretty big fight with a friend of mine just two weeks ago. And he was saying all kinds of things that I was disagreeing with. It was like political and I don't believe in vaccines, but I was trying to be open-minded and okay, let me listen to your thoughts and like gradually tilt him toward sanity. But he goes, I don't know why anyone would play athletics past middle school if you don't have the plan to go play professionally. And that's where I was like, okay, <laughs> like we're like gloves off because there's like, something- let me tell you why. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll settle like the Republican versus Democrat and all of us like, we'll let that one stew for a while. Yeah. But a point I'm gonna make, there's something about knowing in your marrow what it takes from getting familiar with something to getting good at it and I just went through high school like I didn't play in college my legs were beat up like crazy and that's a whole nother story about sports but the knowledge of what it takes to get to a high level 
I carry that everywhere. It's like, you have to work all the time and you have to juggle all of your schedules. Stevenson is a tough school. You come home from a two hour practice to four hours of homework and then repeat over and over again. And when you play multiple sports, like I remember <laughs> junior year, it goes volleyball, basketball, softball through the year. And then it, depending on how I was doing, what I would play in the summer. Mm -hmm. And the transition from volleyball to basketball was difficult because in my very biased opinion, there is no shape like basketball shape from a cardiovascular perspective. It is just like sprinting nonstop. Now volleyball, I had the highest vertical on the basketball team consistently, at least the first month, because yeah. all I did was jump up and down repeatedly. Yeah. So when I went from junior year, when I went from volleyball to basketball, my coach was like, you were in terrible shape. Like you go run every day to try to catch up to everyone else on my team mm -hmm. had been doing training rather than volleyball or another sport. And so they were in great shape. And so it took a while. So senior year to transition between volleyball and basketball, I would get up at five in the morning and ride my bike for 10 miles before going to school, then volleyball, then basketball, and then homework. Yep. But right now, when I've got to get into shape to get out of COVID, I'm up at 545 right now on my bike to get that time. And you learn, you create time. And that's something that has taken me like after not playing sports for a really long time. And this is more personal than business, but it's relevant. You create energy. You don't have energy. And so if you want to have energy for how long your day is, you have to go and create it through sports, running, whatever it is. It's not innate. Yeah. What you just described is the work ethic, discipline, and pursuit of goal, success, growth, whatever people need to frame it as is a major takeaway that you've been able to lean on throughout your career. And it shows up every day, right? I want to sell X number of dollars worth of real estate this year. Here's my plan. Here's what I've done in the past. Here's what I know works. I got to create this daily routine or I'm not going to get there. And I think that's a lesson that uh, to counter your friend's position, why does it matter? Because it's four more years of repetition at habit. And I think that's a really good point. You mentioned as a PG native who went to Stevenson, but kept playing with the PG guys during the summer. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the peninsula, it's a very small place. Everybody knows everybody figuratively. And so you go play a game against the school next door. You have friends on that team. And the athletics actually stimulates the growth of your network. How has your background in being able to, one, compete against somebody really hard and then probably go out to dinner with them after the game, the idea of they are my rival, but also my friend, how has that allowed you to grow and maintain your, your professional network? Yeah, so part of sports, it makes you better in ways that you do not anticipate. But then part of it is like, you can't change a person necessarily. They won't magically pop out a certain way. And for me, I loved competing while in the game. I went to Forest Grove in PG and I, so naturally I'm 5'11 right now. Like I've always been the tallest and I was the tallest of the school in Forest Grove in fifth grade. And we had this big rivalry 
with Robert Down across the way. And Robert Down, I didn't learn this until out later, but Robert Down, because our colors were green and white at Forest Grove, they called me the Jolly Green Giant because I would like make friends with everyone. And like, it took a while for my coaches to be like, no, Jess, like you're competing against them. Cause I would be the one who I'm like, that was an amazing shot. Like at fifth grade, mm -hmm. it's innate in me. So I go jump from PG to Stevenson, which was hard. Like you had parents yelling at me, like I'm a traitor. And I'm like, easy there. It's high school sports. Like we're going to get through best friend that I had known since third grade was still playing PG and I knew that she had a bad back and we were playing against her. So there's part of me that's like competitive. I know we're going to win because we're going to work harder and run them into the ground, but she fell and hurt her back in the game. And it was one of those ones where I like, I cleared the space around her and I was like, nobody get near her. Someone bring a doctor. And that experience experience definitely related to sales. One thing is like you compete, but you're all in this life together, right? Just because I win doesn't mean you can't also win. Right. Um, within real estate, it's a really interesting industry because you know, one agent represents a buyer, one agent represents a seller. And you're going head to head in the negotiation, right? You're like trying to battle for your client and get the best terms to get the best terms. And when you get into escrow, uh, there's a period where you're in escrow and you're doing due diligence and then you close escrow. And that's when generally change of possession is. But when you get into escrow, you're actually working with the other agent to help answer questions. And both parties want the buyer to buy the house and the seller to sell the house. And number one thing that people, new agents, the mistake they make is think that you have to antagonize the other side the entire length of the transaction. And inevitably the people who approach it from that way, the deals fall through. Not every time, but it's, you don't have to be like this. Even our biggest competitor, who is also a Stevenson grad, we do a ton of deals together and you go head to head and you're fighting back and forth to get into escrow. And then it's our TCs know each other. Everyone knows, okay, do you want me to call Mark to go set up inspections? And you work together. Now it may not result in a perfect deal every single time, but there is that collaborative effort that you need to be able to switch your hat on and off and not be offended by the fact that 12 hours ago, you were just going head to head. It's now we're together game back on, but it's a slightly different game. Yeah. All right. I got two more questions I want to ask. And the first one, it may or may not have an answer. We've never talked about this, so I have no idea. But you got to play for some really good teachers and coaches throughout your career who have probably stayed friendly mentors, advisors when you've needed them. But what I want to know is all of us as coaches have things that we say, that we repeat, that we may not realize. And then your kids go up on stage and make fun of you and say the same things that you say out of love. Are there things that have stuck with you throughout your career that you've leaned on that were almost mantras that you just picked up on because they were said so many times? Not a mantra, but I have always been more like, I'll get the rebound. That's my role. I want to be really good at it. I'm not trying to be the star of the group or anything like that's innately how that's just my background. And it's not just my background. It's how I imparted my own value on the team in my mind and on the way to our playoffs, it was quarterfinals or whatever it is. It was the one before we lost, <laughs> but 
it was a neck and neck game. And when you get to the state level, everyone has a solid three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. Everyone has a solid center, strong forward. Mm -hmm. You always have two to three people that will get 20 points a game. But the challenge with that is then the other team, it's well-matched, right? So your usual weapons of 20 points a game are now only pulling in 12 to 15 because now you've got a defender against it and we all know how to defend it. Um, And it was in that game that, I don't know if we were losing down by five or something like that. And coach sat the starters down in a timeout and he goes, you guys, we will not win this game without Jessica Canning scoring. And it didn't occur to me until that moment that, oh, you also want me to score? And that was the game that I did 22 points and got us through to the next level. And so it wasn't a mantra, but it was that little moment that I will always go back to. And when I'm like, okay, do I want to stand up and volunteer? Do I want to go in this conference? Mm The answer is yes. Like just because I'm my comfort zone is cleaning up rebounds or doing this, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be interviewed by Forbes this week. That is also part of who I am. So I do rely on that heavily. Love that. Last question. When you're giving your sales pitch to young people, parents, whomever might come to you and say, Jessica, I need some coaching on life. What do you think about me getting my kids involved in athletics? What would you say? It made me who I am to the core. It will develop you into the person that you're capable of. And again, teach you how to learn and teach you how to push through fear because it will always be there, but you don't have to be good at it. You don't have to be the best at it, but that practice and that approach to sports plays through in life and it will make you a better person in the short run and the long run. And I tell people this kind of similar, I don't care what sport you don't pick your dad's sport. It doesn't matter. Pick the sport that makes you happiest that you feel the best at and that you feel the most successful at. I tell kids the same thing about majors. Don't pick a business major because you heard that they make the most money. If you don't love what you do, you won't be the best at it. You won't create the most benefit from it. So it's absolutely critical to learn how to do it. And it is something that you will carry with you for the rest of your life, whether you play it or not. Perfect. Great answer. Love it. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your busy day trying to dominate the world in real estate and uh, spend some time with me to catch up. It's an honor. This Cypress Grove podcast is proud to be sponsored by Delta Wines and Brick and Mortar, our everyday go-to with sustainability built in. Delta Wines are vibrant yet balanced, made to be enjoyed on a special occasion. Brick and Mortar was founded in 2011 and has worked to create the European Wine Drinkers California Wine. The wines are small lot, single vineyard, sourced from Napa, Sonoma County, and the Mendocino Ridge. In addition to tasting good, they also help you feel good with eco-friendly packaging and environmental nonprofit donations from every purchase. Buy online at winesforchange.com. In addition, use the code CONTACTS to support us and get a discount. The presentation is beautiful, the wines are great, and you're supporting saving the earth. What more do you need? Again, that's online at winesforchange.com 
discount code contacts at checkout. Now enjoy the podcast. If you found this valuable, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and give Y Sports and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support. Thank you.